You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's continue in our worship and and, uh, go to God's Word. And this is our second week in this, we call the epic journey, right? The epic journey of being drawn closer to God. These epic stories, uh, dramatic stories of God's rescue, pursuit, and love for his people. We're in Exodus still, chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Sit tight. We just have a handful of verses we're going to read here. And so sink into this narrative with me. Be present here. Hear this story. It's God's word that's been preserved for us, uh, for, for our good. And so we'll start reading in verse 8 through the rest of the chapter there. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other Pua, when, they, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is God's word. Well, when we began our epic journey last week in the story of Exodus, we began with words of encouragement. We saw God as a faithful God. He promised to Abraham to give him a large family, to bless him, and to, from that family, bring blessing to all nations. And we see that God was delivering on that promise. The people of Israel have become an enormous people. The phrase we often see in the first couple of chapters is the phrase fruitful and multiplied. God was blessing them. And this is to alert us to the fact that God keeps his promise. But today, what what a tale of suffering we read today. We go very quickly from encouragement to pain, unimaginable pain. First few verses of Exodus describe this relationship between God and his people of fruitfulness. And the next verses describe these painful relationship between God, between God's people and their oppressors. To oppress means to be 
brought low. It means to beat down, to tear down, to destroy. To, breast, to oppress means to, to wreck and to push. It carries with it this, this physical kind of suffering, as you can imagine, as we see, but also an emotional kind of suffering. This oppression of God's people took away everything. It took away their power. Pharaoh says, let's take away their families so that they, they don't have powerful men to serve in the armies. This oppression takes away their dignity. They're, they're forced to work outside, uh, uh, not keeping their own schedules and having freedom to do as they please. Their taskmasters are, are uh, put over them to watch them every moment of the day, exposed to harsh elements constantly. Their identity is taken away. There is this ethnic cleansing happening to take away the, 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 the males and keeping the women and hoping to extinguish over time the, the DNA of the pure Israelite people, to make something different with Egyptian blood. And, I mean, this whole people is being oppressed in every form of the word. But everything Pharaoh does doesn't work. Everything he does isn't working. God's people continue to multiply. They continue to flourish. Every plan that he has, we see the opposite is coming true. God's people continue to be blessed and they continue to flourish. And so he comes to the midwives and he tells the midwives, when you're delivering a child, if it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, let it live. In fact, what he doesn't say, he doesn't say if it's a boy and girl. He says if it's a son, if it's a daughter. And so we see even from this language that families, like this isn't just a boy that is being killed. It's someone's son. Families are being destroyed. Families are being devastated. You can see this movement of oppression as the passage even goes along. This harsh servitude that leads to slavery. Slavery that leads to, to um, genocide. Genocide that has ethnic cleansing involved. It is one devastating oppression to the next. Pharaoh's strong hand of power rests mightily on the people of God with enormous opposition constantly on the Israelite people. All the power of Egypt is on the backs of God's people. And then right in the center of this dark, dark night and dark season of their life is that best word in the Bible that we've seen before, the word but. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. Say their names with me. Shifra, say it, <laughs> Pula, these women we're supposed to remember, these women are memorialized in God's word forever, these midwives who feared God and did not do as the king instructed them to do, we have their names and so every person who comes to hear of God's story will encounter these women and remember their name. Could have just as easily said, these two midwives didn't fear God, but Shifra and Pua. I didn't mean to be so violent there to make you say that, but thank you for joining me. <laughs> I really want you to see these women. I want you to imagine their faces. I want you to see them as people. I want you to see the way that God is honoring the, the, the faith of these women in Scripture. 
Now say with me Pharaoh's name. Say his name with me. Oh, trick question. We don't know his name. See, you got, I got you on that one. We don't know his name. How interesting. The most powerful person in the world. Not even mentioned. What does that say? Can, we're, not, we're not even going to utter his name. The most powerful man is brought low, but these seemingly insignificant, powerless women, we have their names forever because they feared God. We have a lot to learn. We don't learn just their story of their courage and their faith. We're meant to learn their story of their fear of God. The author could have much as easily said, but there were two women who did not listen to Pharaoh. But Shifra and Pua are here for us to teach us that the fear of God is essential to knowing God, to walking with him, and to living by faith. And Pharaoh, whose name we don't even know, is easily just forgotten. And in light of this central verse in verse 17, I want to spend the rest of our time asking three questions that this passage most naturally uh, invites us to answer. What does it mean to fear God? Where does the fear of God come from? And, and then last question is, which I won't offer too much commentary on, but really just to ask you, do you fear God? Do you fear God in this way? So the third, the, let's look at the first one. How are we to understand the fear of God? How do you think of the fear of God? Maybe you have some kind of working definition for how you might describe what it means to fear God. Um, maybe it's something like, you know, it's, it's to, to have reverence for God, right? It's to have to deep respect for God. It's to be before God in a, in a posture of awe and uh, amazement of his majesty, to to just to take him seriously, we might say. And, and all of those are true, um, but with all of these true expressions, um, we're not really answering the question, why do we fear God? See, that, those are some, some expressions of, of the result of fearing God, but why do we fear God? Not just reactions. Well, let me give you a simple definition for why we fear God. Fear of God is believing with all of our hearts that God will do what he's promised to do. I'll flesh that out a little bit. To fear God means that we believe with all of our hearts that God will do what he has promised to do. And as we read this story, the, the power of Egypt is so oppressive, we can see it's so powerful, and Pharaoh is, is so committed to getting his own way that we can see that it would appear that there's only one possible um, option available. Fear Pharaoh. Do what he says or else. And so if you were in this position, you might think, and as you're reading this, you're like, man, he is really pressing down hard, and God's people have one option before them. Do what he says. But we see that with Shifra and Pua, there's actually another option available, and that's to fear God. He has the power, Pharaoh has the power to do horrible things to people that don't listen to him. And it would seem that people should fear Pharaoh, which legitimately they have a great right and justifiable right to fear him. But through the faith of Shifra and Pua, there's another option to the 
fear of man and just worrying about what man or woman can do to you, and that is fearing God and what he can do to you. The people have the ability, people have the ability to deliver on their promises, right? Pharaoh has the ability to deliver on his threats. If Pharaoh says, do this or else, he has the power and resources available to him to follow through. But so does God. So does God. The Bible is filled with God's promises. They're filled with promises that we could call positive promises, which are, which are most often the ones we think about. Like, and then there are negative promises. You know, promises, the positive promises, I'm sure you have some, like books are written on the promises of God. Maybe you've even Googled it, promises of God in the Bible. And it just lists all these verses of positive things. Like, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord of God will be with you wherever you go. This is a promise, a positive promise. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to fear what will happen to us because God is with us. Another is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a positive promise. God will do what he says. Those are the kinds of promises we think about in the Bible when we think of the promises of God. But there's also negative promises. Negative promises are like this. If you do not forgive others of their trespasses, neither will God forgive you of yours. That's a promise of God. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's a promise from God. And so a fear of God is realizing that it's, that it's that wave of reality that comes over us that God will do exactly what he promised he would do, both positively and negatively. Fear of God is that feeling that comes over you when you know that, that your hidden sins and your hidden thoughts may be hidden to you, but one day they will be completely exposed one day, even in this life, at least at the judgment seat of Christ, and, and, and also it's that feeling of knowing that even if no one knows your internal struggles, God sees everything. That's the feeling, the feeling that you have of like, you cannot hide from God. It's that feeling that comes and you know that no, no thought is hidden from God, no compromise go unpunished, no, no, nothing can be justified before God. You can't trick God. It's also that feeling that comes over you when you choose in obedience to God, to do that very unpopular thing in order to do the right thing that turned out to spare you from so much further pain. Maybe you have times like that in your life where you, you, you chose to do the unpopular thing, the harder thing, as a way of trusting God and following him. And you didn't know why you were doing it in the moment, but now you look back and you realize, wow, that spared me from so much pain, and I received so much comfort from God in the midst of that. It's that feeling when you know that no enemy, no opposition, no, nothing can touch you because you are secure in the love of God. It's the feeling of complete protection in the providence of God who never lies, never loses, never loosens his grip of love on you. And so you see fear of God can be this uh, motivated by negative and positive promises. He is with me. He forgives me. He also holds me accountable, and no sin is hidden from his sight. Pharaoh will lose, uh, he'll learn the hard way 
that God keeps his promises to those who reject him. And Shifra and Pua will learn the wonderful way that God keeps his promises to those who trust in him. And, and both Pharaoh and the, and, and the women here are examples of, of negative promises of God when he keeps his promises and the positive promises of God when God keeps his promises. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those who exalt themselves will be brought low. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. And God says, I promise to do both of those things. That's what it feels like to fear God when you actually believe him and take him seriously. But in Shifra and Pua's situation, it is their confidence that God was a promise-keeping God that enabled them to act in the way that they did. It is their confidence that God will do what he said he will do that enabled them to walk by faith, to have confidence, to defy the most powerful man on earth and to fear God instead. Do you see Pharaoh's progress again here? We look at Pharaoh says there's too many people. Let's, let's work them to death. Let's, let's work them until they die but still they increase. There's too many people. Pharaoh says, let's, let's get the midwives to do the work so it doesn't look like I'm the bad guy. Let's get the midwives to, to kill and to, to, to limit this population. And that doesn't work. And so he gets the Egyptians involved and he says, let's gather up all the Jews. And anytime you see a baby, a son being born, I want you to throw it into the Nile to drown. It's a terrible, terrible time for the people of God. That's an understatement. It's a terrible time. They didn't have ultrasound back then. Imagine the fear of these pregnant Jewish women. Uh, the loss of joy of hearing that you're pregnant and that your family is being built and, and your family is growing. Knowing that that pregnancy could end in the greatest grief and pain that you have ever known. Imagine the fear of sitting there on the birthing stool, which, anybody use that still today? No? <laughs> Never seen one, don't care to see one. Um, imagine sitting there and the midwife delivers your child and says, it's a boy. The loud cries of mothers filling the streets at night, the, having their newborn children ripped from their homes must have filled their houses and filled their cities with just agonizing pain. And if you're, if you're looking for an encouraging storyline of your heritage, a storyline to look for in the Bible, this is not one that you want to see. If you were to write your story, this is not what you would want to include. But Shifra and Pua, they, the only way they show us to escape the fear of man, the only way to escape that storyline of oppression and pain and agony is the fear of God. And they take this storyline that is, feels like only bad news and they, they turn it. And they say there's, a, there's another story for those who trust in God. There's another outcome there's redemption, there's salvation, there's rescue, there is hope. In the midst of agony and pain, 
It doesn't have to be that way only. There's another option. We do not have to be afraid of what people can do to us because we can fear God, and that will lead to rescue and life. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world, and with a simple wave of his hand, he could have them executed. And Shifra and Pua dared to risk their lives because they feared God. They understand that obeying God is always the safer way to go, even when your life is at risk. It is always the better way to go. We may have doubts about that if their situation was differently, if there was little threat to their life, if, uh, if it wasn't a matter of life and death. We can say, well, yeah, they, they feared God. It was easy to do in this situation. But here we can remove any kind of doubt to think that, they, that their lives were not in imminent danger. And we see God commended them. And we are meant to take note of this. Verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. We are meant to see not just their confidence and their fear. The the author of Exodus is wanting to see, just in case you think you're wondering what God thinks of their faith, he's going to say it a few times here. He commends them, he blesses them, and he directs a, he, he, a direct line of correlation between their fearing God and the blessing in their life. Whatever their circumstances were, we were meant to see this spotlight on Shifra and Pua as if God is saying, this is how you do it. This is how you live by faith. Those who trust in me, despite their circumstances, will not be overlooked, and I will be faithful to all my promises. You know, maybe some of these women, these midwives, we don't know, maybe some of them were well beyond childbearing years, and God blessed them. Maybe some of them were unable to have children. Maybe that's why they got into this line of work and service, is because they wanted to be around uh, the, the, the celebration of new life, and maybe, maybe they weren't able to have children of their own. Maybe they, maybe they adopted children. Whatever the case was, we see that God was blessing these women because of their faithfulness, despite their circumstances. He is true to his promises. Those who exalt themselves will be brought low. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. God guarantees blessing when we obey and, and he threatens curses when we disobey. Now, the blessings may not be what you and I expect. They may not even come in this life, but they are always good and they will always be towards the ultimate end, not of our personal prosperity or wealth, but it will always be to the ultimate end of making us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ to enjoy his fellowship, to know him, to be shaped to be like him, to enjoy that communion and the blessing that comes from knowing that we belong to him and he belongs to us. And God will do it. And he will work out those promises in our life. So that's what the fear of God is. What does it, where does it come from? Where does the fear of God come from? I mentioned a bit ago that 
None of us would choose this story as a storyline for our life or our family history. And in one sense, that's very true. We have not had it as bad as uh, these people have had it. And that's a good thing. And we thank God for that. But in another sense, this horrible bondage, the horrible slavery, the horrible oppression is part of each and every one of our lives. Perhaps you see yourself as someone who is a person who's perfectly free, right? You're, you're someone who you, you do what you want. You're at a place in your life or career where you, you're certainly not a slave to anyone. Uh, you get to do, uh, come and go as you please. You, you get to think for yourself. You, you consider yourself a free-thinking person. Uh, you're not obligated to anyone or anything. And you, you live most of your life untethered to any kind of obligation or rule. But the Bible tells us that we are all enslaved. That we're enslaved to, uh, enslaved to our affections, enslaved to our powers, our habits, and even in ways that are completely beyond our own understanding. We're, we're driven by impulses that sometimes we don't understand are driving us. Jesus actually tells us in John chapter 8, he says, anyone who commits sin, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What does it mean to be a slave to sin? Well, the Exodus story, even though it's a true story of of physical slavery, it's also a shadow of a more truer reality of bondage and slavery. It's a kind of spiritual slavery. To be a slave to sin is to be unable to escape the sinful patterns of guilt and shame. To be a slave to sin is to be powerless, to break free from the hold that sin has on our life. To to be a slave to sin, in a sense, you think about the physical slavery and now transfer that to a thinking of spiritual slavery. It's, it's, It's to be bound and held and held down to never being able to escape to be the true person that you were created to be. And the Bible tells us, and Jesus himself tells us, this is what sin does to a person. It curses you. It encapsulates you in a a situation and an identity of spiritual deadness. And there's nothing inside of you that you can do that can break free from that. And all you're doing is just screaming out and, and crying out for rescue, but there's no one who can help. That's what sin does. It beats us down. It brings us low. It oppresses us. Sin is that evil taskmaster that promises protection, promises joy and happiness and security, but gives us only pain. Whether it's materialism or perfectionism or pride, hate, lust, dishonesty, sin will rule our lives and rob us of the relationship with the one who created us. That is what it's designed to do. The Bible tells us that we were born into this slavery and that we're powerless to break free. And there is, though, this endless cycle that we see, this fear of this endless cycle, but the cycle of guilt and shame goes on and on forever until somebody comes and rescues us out of that. And the Exodus story shows us that just as God sent Moses to set his people free from the bondage and slavery of of evil oppressors. God sent his son Jesus to rescue his children from the slavery of sin.
Where does this fear of God come from? Do you notice that in this story that, that everyone's afraid of something? Um, Pharaoh fears the people. Right? He fears that they will become great, greater and kind of take over or they'll leave and cause economic disaster in their country. Uh, we learn that the people fear, the Egyptian people fear the Jewish people. And so they kind of come in, in, in um, are accomplices in Pharaoh's evil plan. And we see that the midwives fear God. Every, every single person in this story fears somebody. And that's something we need to see. Every single person in this room fears something. To say that you are a fearless person and, and not a slave to anything is to be, it, it's just intellectually dishonest. We are all afraid of something. We fear being alone. We fear maybe getting sick. We fear upsetting our friends or letting people down. We fear looking foolish in front of people that we deeply respect and desire their approval. We fear losing our job or staying in a job for 40 years that we hate. We fear clowns. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what it is. Not we as in me, but like some people do. We fear spiders, right? There's, we fear a lot of things. Your life and mine is motivated by fear. You are compelled and driven and fueled to avoid your fears coming true. It is the reason why we do almost everything. And God says, if you're going to fear something or someone, the smartest thing to do is fear the one who gives you life rather than takes it away. This is the fear that leads to life, the fear of God. And there is a fear that leads to death. Proverbs 14, verse 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. And the children will have a, his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And what about Romans 6, 22? But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we are honest with ourselves and if we have an honest look at what the Bible says and we believe it to be true, we will realize that all of us are going to be a slave to something. We will be a slave that leads to death or a slave that leads to life. Do you see what's happening here? And that is the Lord's rescue of his people is not to take them away from slavery, but rather to direct, to redirect their slavery. And it's not a slavery that is oppressive and and bound, binding them from being who they truly are, it is a kind of slavery that sets them free. And I understand the paradox there, but we are all tethered to something. But when we are tethered to Christ, when we are tethered to God, it leads to life. It leads to freedom. But when we seek to control our own life and manage our life and not be bound to anything, what happens is our life is taken away. 
for those who seek their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus says. Choose the fear that leads to life. Shifra and Pua knew this, and they did the right thing. They chose life. We're all going to fear something. Might as well fear God because he's going to take care of me. The fear of God comes from believing that sin will rob us of all things good, destroy all that we hope for, and oppress us in an endless cycle of guilt and shame. And Jesus is the only way to be set free. Choosing to fear God is as much as a burden in our life as it is for a drowning man or woman to grab onto a, a life preserver. This is the burden that is light. It's a yoke that is easy. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. You will find rest for your souls. The only way, the only way to be set free from this slavery to sin is to remove the power that belongs to the one who oppresses us. This is why God rescued his people from the hands of Pharaoh. This is why he sent in a redeemer, Moses. This is why uh, his army was crippled. They had to, in order to be rescued, he had to destroy the one who was oppressing. This is why Jesus couldn't simply just forgive our sins. Have you wondered, why couldn't God, if he's so loving, so forgiving, why couldn't he just forgive us and say, you know what, all that you've done wrong, I set you free and you're free to go. You're free to live the life that I've created for you. Why couldn't he just wave a magic wand? Why couldn't he just say, you know, I'm feeling in a really good mood. Let's just forget what happened and try, try better next time. There's a reason why Jesus had to come. He had to send a rescuer, and that rescuer had to face our greatest nightmare and our strongest enemy. He had to face death himself. He had to face Satan himself, and he had to conquer it. He had to defeat it. He had to be crushed for our sins. He had to go to the cross. He had to hang. He had to bleed. He had to die. He had to become a man. He had to live a perfect life. And it had to end with him dying for us. He had to be tempted in every single way that you and I are tempted. He had to mourn. He had to be betrayed by his friends. He had to suffer. He had to cry out to God only to hear silence. All of that had to happen. And this is the great irony of, of, of uh, finding freedom in Christ. We find our freedom because Jesus became a slave. Jesus lost his freedom. He took on our guilt and shame. He nailed our sins to the cross so that our chains could be broken free. He was wounded so that we could be healed. Do you see all of this? As we, as, as we are being freed from slavery of sin, Jesus is entering into it. He becomes our sin and takes the punishment for our sins. And what should have happened to you and I happened to Jesus. Do you fear God like this? This is what the fear of God is. It leads to, it's how we find it. It's in Christ. It's recognizing that we are enslaved to something and nothing can rescue us. And we will continue in a cycle of slavery 
and guilt and shame and pain that will eventually lead to death. God's promises are true. The one who follows the wide path that will lead to destruction, but the one who enters the narrow gate will lead to life. Jesus says, I am that gate. We all fear something. The secret to finding freedom is not to try harder. It's not to do better today or do better tomorrow, but it's to look to Christ, who is the only one who can rescue us, to see him for who he really is. If God gave his only son for us, how will he not also give us all things? God will do everything he's ever promised to do. This is, the, this is bad news for the one who's running from God. But it is life for the one who cries out for rescue. It is good news for the one who looks at Jesus and asks for his mercy. Because he will never turn away a broken heart or contrite spirit. Not a single one who cries out and says, I am enslaved to my own sin. Help me, Jesus will ever hear the silence of God. And that's because Jesus did it for us. I wonder if people ever ask the midwives, I know what you're doing. Are you ever worried or afraid of what Pharaoh might do to you? I wonder, what, if, what, don't you think they would have said, oh, don't get me wrong, terrified. But I'm more afraid of God. And that was a good thing. I fear God even more. Their story is an example for how we can act with courage and faith because we have a God who will do everything he's ever promised to do.